Welcome to Level Up, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and the faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We will explore the many adversity that each one of us experience and share our story to inspire and inform. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. Welcome to Level Up. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Randy Bender. Randy, how are you doing today? Great, CJ. How are you today? Good. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I am in New York right now um, in my home office. I am a curriculum designer for a company called Dreambox Learning which is uh, a learning company that puts out a math and a reading program. I have been with Dreambox for about a year before that. I was with a company called Reading Plus that uh, was, I was also a curriculum person there, putting out a really fabulous reading program. And I love what I do. feel really lucky and privileged that I have a job where I wake up every morning and feel really excited about sitting down at this desk and doing the work that I do. Wow, that's amazing. I love it. So tell me a little bit about, you know, being with curriculum design for 16 years. What has it been like? I have had quite a ride. I started when with a company called Reading Plus when it was a small company and everybody wore a lot of different hats. And when shipping day came, everybody packed boxes. And when it was the day to work on the computer stuff, everybody did that. And slowly over time, that company grew and our jobs became a little more defined. And I kind of rose through the ranks there. I I ended my time with that company as the chief content officer. So I really acquired a lot of skills and strategies on how to interact with people along that, that route. And I'm trying to bring what I learned at that company to my current job. Wow. So as a VP of literacy curriculum and assessment for Dreambox. What does that entail? I'm, I'm really curious. Sure. I get this amazing job. I pinch myself every day that I do this. So I get to uh, oversee the creation of curriculum that students will use in the online product. It's the, the texts that students read. It's the vocabulary that students are acquiring. It's the background knowledge that we're building through those texts. And we create this incredibly rich environment for them to become more proficient readers, to build their background knowledge, to expand their vocabulary. And we hope to become inspired, engaged world citizens who love to learn. Wow, that's actually exciting. <laughs> I'm excited for you. I'm like, I'm there. I think I'm there. <laughs> I'm trying to get, I, I'm, I, actually, it's very exciting to to hear someone outside of just teachers trying to do really dig deep research on the passion for learning, right? The The, passion for learning. To get that fire built in kids to want to learn and to understand the power of learning, right? Knowledge is power. And all the knowledge of the world is locked in texts. We have to be able to read those texts to understand what, what the world is telling us from the beginning of time. People were writing hieroglyphics. 
to today where you're reading, you know, crazy tweets that people put out with uh. 144 characters. You need to be able to read and to comprehend, understand what that stuff says. And I feel that I'm in some small way contributing to helping young minds become thoughtful thinkers, objective thinkers, being able to question and understand if they're being fed fake news or real news to really understand what they're reading. So that's that's why I feel inspired each day to come to work. Critical thinking is amazing. I love that. Critical thinking. Yeah. It doesn't come box stop. I wish it was. Like, here's the critical thinking skills that you can get. I, I tried to create a class right now. It's called Managing Your Boss that has critical thinking skills in it. So I'm excited about that. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the ones that you design and develop for Reading Plus with the designation for the John Hopkins University? Sure. We are. Reading Plus was awarded an S.S. Strong designation by Johns Hopkins. The reason why is we have gold standard studies, published third-party validations that the product really works. I, I couldn't work for a company that was making widgets. I need to work for a company that is actually building something that works and makes a difference. And we have the validation that shows that. So I'm super proud of that reading program. I sometimes refer to it as my third child. I have two daughters and I have my reading program. (laughs) My three kids. Yeah, that's true. Now, what traits and skills do you feel are most important to becoming a leader? Oh, I love that question. I think the most important thing you can do as a leader um, when you're, you're managing people and leading teams is you have to be the manager that you want to have yourself. You have to be able to give the people who report to you on your team the support and guidance and be their cheerleader in the way that you wish your manager did for you. Even if your manager is not doing that for you, you still owe it to the people on your team. I um, I have one-on-ones with my team. I have skip level meetings because I really believe in staying connected. A lot of dysfunction can develop when an senior managers lose touch with the people that are a couple of levels below. So I I try to maintain that kind of connection. Did that answer your question? I feel like I digressed a little. No, no, that actually really answered your question. You're right, because when you're leading a team, sometimes you're so inundated with other things that you forget the people you're leading. I think it's people first. Yeah. people, People are what make a company successful. People feeling appreciated people feeling uh, that the work that they do is meaningful and it's making a contribution people want to know that they have a trajectory in, in a, a company that where do they see themselves in five years is it still with your company you kind of want that you want to know that that your staff feels that they're stable yeah and also sometimes a job sometimes for some people it's like day in and day out the same thing. There's no excitement. But even though you're doing the same job, sometimes when you have a really great leader, you get excited to come to work. Just like you, you're so excited to come to work because you know your purpose. You're making a difference. And so that actually makes a difference. Now, how would you translate that as a leader? Like, what does leadership look like to you when you lead others? Like, how do you get them excited? Well, I think the first thing you want to do is model 
the kinds of behaviors and the kinds of attitudes that you want to see in the people who are on your team. I try to bring enthusiasm all the time, even on the days that I might be dragging or even on the days that I'm struggling a little, I always want to have that, that aura of positivity. That's not to say that you want to mask problems from your team. You want to be as transparent as you can when there's a problem. You want your team to work on that problem to fix it. You need to convey that. I, I've tried to emulate the behaviors of leaders that I thought were doing a great job, people who maybe were my managers or other people's managers that I admired. The, the consistent um, qualities that they had were honesty and transparency and clear objectives and understanding what the mission of the team was and how that mission fit into the company's overall strategy. Hmm. That's true. Transparency is a big thing because people sometimes get told you got to do this, but they don't know why. Exactly. I think you want to understand why you're being asked to do something. A manager that I really admired held uh, town hall meetings often with his team. And his policy was, if you ask me a question and I know the answer and I can answer it, I will. If you uh, ask me a question and I know the answer and I can't answer it, I'll tell you that I can't answer that. And if I don't have the answer, I will find it for you. And I think that just kind of bucketing the responses that he could give to his team, people respected that. People understand that sometimes managers, executives can't share certain things, right? For their, their proprietary information or, or things are some kind of negotiations going on, they can't share that. But he was transparent about that. Yes, something's going on and I can't share that with you right now. I so respected that. Um, it, it's much different than when you just turn a, you know, turn a blind eye to or I should say not a blind eye, but you turn a deaf ear to the questions that are coming at you. True. And sometimes they managers don't even know, but instead of saying, I don't know, they just ignore the question and just move right. on. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say that. I don't know. It's good to say, I'll get back to you. Yeah. I don't have the information at the moment. I will try to find that uh, for you. Yeah, the second half is as important as the first half. Honesty, but coming back with the answer is good. Something like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. I'll find it in a couple of days exactly. for you. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Now, has the recent COVID-19 pandemic changed your leadership style at all? Is it more challenging? Yeah, it's such a, another great question, CJ. Thanks. I have been a remote employee since 2010. So, uh personally didn't have much adjustment but those around me who were office-based employees who suddenly had to quickly learn how to be remote employees I felt a little bit like a coach for them to help them acclimate to what it's like there's a different kind of work discipline that you need working from home I think that we we all had to learn to be more empathetic to our colleagues because people were dealing with things that when you are seeing somebody in their home, you have a little bit more of a window into what their personal world is like. And you suddenly got a sense of people working from carved out spaces and bedrooms. I know people who had to convert a closet to a workspace because their, their living space didn't 
have a, a private office for them. And so they were working under pretty stressful conditions. There were children that suddenly couldn't go to daycare or to school. As a manager, you have to reassure people, it's okay if the baby's crying. Go take care of the baby and we can meet later. Or why don't we put the baby, you know, have the baby sit on your lap while we meet. We can, we can you know, help you entertain the baby during the meeting. Pets, how many meetings have you been in in the last two years where someone's cat walks across you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the vision in a Zoom meeting, right? It's like you've got this incredible view of your colleagues as real people and not just this nine-to-five co-worker that you know only in one context. You saw people in their true environment as they really are. And you know, some people really struggled and we had to rally around them and help how to encourage people to take vacation. People were afraid to use PTO during COVID. So even if you're, even if you're not going to go away, you need to take some mental health time, right? Don't, don't accrue 300 hours of PTO yeah. in a year. Let it roll over for three years. You have to take the time that you are entitled to, to recharge, rejuvenate. All of that was kind of lessons we learned during, during COVID. Yeah. I hear you on that one. My husband's working remote for 15 years probably more he's always just traveled to work when he needed but for me I've always been a hybrid meaning sometimes I work remote sometimes I'm driving around or I'm in the office and I actually quit being a dean on ground because of COVID because my kids were at home and it was just chaotic right but I'm privileged that I have an my own office I actually have two I have this which is my podcast room and then my office but pets, oh my gosh, my bulldogs are so loud, okay, when they breathe. <laughs> um, they snore while I'm take, doing my classes. Like, I can't kick out my baby. She will have a fit. And you're right, pets are there. They're, I have four dogs. And, you know, my kids, sometimes they sing when I'm actually teaching. I'm like, can you be quiet for a minute, you know? And they're not even small children. So, yeah, I could see that. Real life. It's real life going on as, you know, as you're in your meetings. You have to tell people, that's my bulldog snoring, not my husband. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very loud. Like, And I, I always get a copy like, guys, I'm so sorry. Right now it's quiet, but in the next 10 minutes, it's going to get really snoring in a minute, you know. <laughs> and I'm going to mute myself so you can have, you know, we can have a good meeting. And I'll chat my answers, you know, so I had to give them a heads up when we had a meeting because it gets pretty loud, you know. So you're right. I think we did change a lot when it comes to meeting for that. Now, have you discovered your purpose in life yet? I know you've mentioned that you really enjoyed your job. Can you illustrate that in some capacity in your career? Yeah, God, purpose in life. I think the most important lesson you can take away and I have, let me just preface this for your, your listeners. I have decades of experience. You can't see me on the podcast, but I can assure you I have plenty of life experience. I would say that the, the purpose is to have a job that you wake up every morning and feel excited about going to work, but make sure that work is not the center of your life. Work cannot be. It, it should not be the main thing that keeps you going. You're outside, you're nine to five, that's your real life. That's where your, your friends are, where your passions lie, where your interests are. Work should be enjoyable 
and satisfying, but real life happens out there. That would be the lesson that it took me a long time to realize. Yeah, work to live, right? Oh. Right, right. Work yeah. to live. Yeah. Just Don't live to work. Yeah. Right? I wish I got that tattooed on me. My husband know, maybe keeps, 25 years ago. <laughs> my husband keeps telling me that I'm so passionate about learning and giving my students learning more than what they have in front of them. I always aim to have transferable skills every single time I have interaction with them. But that takes time and experience and really thought of how are we going to get this theory to this you know what I mean? To get excitement. And it takes me a while. And my husband's like, you're always working. You're always, I'm like, I know. So I have been trying to pull back and said, okay, it's got to be something short, impactful at the same time. So that's what I'm working to. So I'm in that like work to live, work to live, not live to work, you know, right. kind of mentality. So thank you for, for our, another reminder, a really great <laughs> reminder for sure. sure. Do you have a lifetime career goal? If anyone was listening, like, okay, what kind of career can I change? Like, have you changed careers in the past 20, 30 years? I have. I started my career as a, a journalist. I went to school for that. And I worked on Wall Street journalism sphere. And like kind of had this epiphany, like I didn't, find it satisfying. I woke up one morning and realized I was not doing anything to make the world a better place. I was maybe making some people have more money in their pockets, but I was not helping the world be a better place. And by luck and the stars aligned and I found a job where I could make a difference in people's lives by helping them to become literate, to read in a way that could change their lives. I just by chance found this job and it was like a, an epiphany. It was, uh, I woke up and um, I've been awake since. It's like you, work has to be meaningful in a way that you feel that you are making a difference in people's lives. For me, that is what drives me. And that was, that was a total shift for me. Wow. That happened, you know, 20 years ago. And I'm so grateful that that change happened. You couldn't have told me when I was a young person coming out of college that that's where I ended up. I, I thought, ah, oh, work on Wall Street and I'm going to, you know, set the world on fire and become a famous writer and write about books. No, 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 no satisfaction. That, for me, maybe for someone else I could work, not for me. What about your career that inspires you? Currently or, or in the past? Overall, currently, in the past, what about it? You know, as I mentioned, I've been around a while. I am inspired by seeing more women in, um, in roles of uh, leadership in companies across the board. Uh, I still think we have a long way to go. I think we need more women on boards and in C-suite. Uh, we need to see more women uh, in, in all roles of, of authority. There are still certain industries that I think are a little misogynistic that we can do better in IT. trying to bring more women in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, IT, like we need uh, more. Yeah. You said it, not me, but yes, yeah. Yeah, no, IT, yeah. Yeah, we need to encourage more women to go into that field and we need to help educate people who work in that field to, to allow women to rise through the ranks. That would be great. 
Yeah, so that, that's been encouraging in all areas of IT. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Over a decade ago, my, my dissertation was about executive women in the Philippines and in the United States. But I actually interviewed some from Korea and Japan and Philippines. I traveled there to see. And it was disheartening to me. Like, I've always seen America as, like, for women and, you know, we rally to, through women. But when I did my research and I dig deeper, United States was the top 10 bottom of employing executive women. And this was over a decade ago. And it's still probably still happening. And then Germany was number one. And even Philippines, a third world country, is one of the top 10 and or the top 20. And China, 63% of their executive women are CFOs. For a mm. communist country, really? Mm. You see what I mean? So I, I do. And it's... It made me sad because I have two daughters. And so I've always been trying to change something in the community for the better future for my kids. And I actually ended up doing an ambassador for United Nations for Women and Girls. And so I've always volunteered in that capacity to help in some way or another. But now I'm trying to finish up my master's in cybersecurity because my husband's in cybersecurity. Two more classes left, Randy. Two more classes left. So close. I know. And they're like, how are you going to shift from teaching? And I'm like, you know, I did sales. I did marketing management forever. I did education. I did admin and education. Who's to say my next life will not be in IT to make a difference? And so. Oh, I hope it is. We'll see. IT needs you. Crossing my finger. (laughs) Last night I'm like, crossing my finger but hacking is really a hard work okay i've done lab work for 30 hours while working full-time as a dean and going to school wow it was worse than covid having hard time breathing yeah. um well, yeah women can multitask so you're an example of that true right? and you know i, I want to comment on one thing you said about you know the uh, women in the united states maybe not emulating their peers and doing as well as their peers in other countries. I feel that my experience, American women working with other women fall into two buckets. They're mentors or tormentors. And we need to get more women to be mentors for one another. We need to, um, there's strength in numbers and we need to support our sisters, help them, grow and advance in companies we should be uh we should be aligned and working to help all women advance and i still see remnants here and there of women who are not working in the best interest of other women and i think that more power in numbers we need to support each other yeah, something when I write that book, Mentors and Tormentors. So. I actually like that. <laughs> but in that conversation, how does that inspiration allow you to inspire others? Like right now, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm been trying to mentor. I, I, ne- I didn't have a mentor even with my dissertation, and I wish I did. And so I'm trying to give back all the time having mentorship that I do for global management initiatives for women and girls, actually, specifically. I'm very intentional with my mentorship. I, I still mentor men, too. I, I have men students. But mostly it's the women that have, I feel like they need more push and encouragement. 
I think it's a society psychology somehow that women are not still there. And I see it all the time with the mentorship that I've done. And so I'm trying to be shifting their minds on, yes, you can do it. Yes, you need to be intentional of what you want. And I'm hearing, you know, young girls that I mentor so far, they're so dedicated. And I hope that that momentum keeps going. But for you, what does mentorship looks like? I think you can, and to your point, I think you can mentor men and women. I don't think it's, right, like just to be yeah. fair, like I, I think you can do both. I want to mentor whoever is the mentee that I'm working with. I want them to find their voice and to not be afraid to speak up, to, you know, just to strike the balance between being that little, you know, fly buzzing around that annoys everybody and being the person who thoughtfully and brilliantly makes their point in a meeting. Too many times, and this is especially true for women, they don't speak up. And they use you know, words to just, or I think, or uh, um, perhaps that minimize the impact of what they're saying. I want them to to feel confident. And I try to instill that. And there's a lot of younger women that I, I try to mentor along the way to find your voice and use it effectively. And don't ever, don't in your own mind diminish your impact and what you can bring to a company. I, I think that we have to help build up women and make them feel like real participants in the process, be it in the workplace or in politics or wherever, right? We are more than 50% of the population and we should be reflected in the boardroom, in the Oval Office, wherever. Like women should be represented and speak their truth. Yeah, recently <laughs> I got corrected actually. And I, I love it because I grew from that conversation when I said, you know, I, I made a comment. I don't remember what the comment was. I think it's like I'm too old to to be told. Ah, it, it was about micromanagement. And I said, I'm too old to be micromanaged. And she's like, no, CJ. How about you said you're too mature and experienced rather than saying too old. I'm like, you're right. It's the words that I'm choosing to say. In my head, it was okay. But you're right. In the other people, they're like too old. What? Yeah, well, yeah. Those, those labels that we put on ourselves, right? Or I'm, I'm too competent to be micromanaged. I'm too experienced, uh, which is the word that you use, yeah. right? Though, that's a great way to, to describe why you don't want to be yeah. micromanaged. I don't think it's age or culture or you know socioeconomic background. Mm -hmm. None of those things play into it, right? Yeah, and nobody should be micromanaged. Like that's as an aside. Like micromanagement is is killer of innovation. I just it's killer of innovation. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's an insecurity on the part of the manager. Yeah, and it's still happening. It's still happening. I will not work for someone who micromanages me. I I can actually innovate ten times more. You'd believe it. If I'm motivated, you'd like, whoa, how did that happen? I'm like, I make that happen because I believe in what I'm doing. 
but I think it's still the choice of words. Like even me, my choice of words, I still need to watch it and be intentional because other people, especially my students, are also watching and emulating, right? So I have to be careful. And, and my kids are listening to me. So I have to be careful in the choice of words. And so I love to surround with women like you who can be like, you can say this words instead of that words, you know? And I love that. I love that and I welcome all constructive feedback because someone is watching always on what I say or what I do, including my children, especially my children. It's the language that you use and it's your body language too, right? Women, when they're, if you're in a meeting and it's a, a passionate argument with you and someone else about, a, a, you know, some work-related thing and some women will start fiddling with a necklace or like doing things and you want to, you know, sit leaning forward um, in your in your posture of authority and knowledge and, you know, believing in what you're saying, I try to mentor people like that counts, especially in the world of Zoom where everybody is on camera looking at each other. Like your body language matters, how you how you hold yourself, how you speak, right? Where is your voice coming from? Like all those things matter for women and women. Where your voice comes from, is it, you know, high? Yeah. Versus the tone, the, the tone, yeah. The tone. The yeah. tone, exactly. And I, yeah. that class that I'm actually doing is, it says attitude is everything, I right? Think it is. Yeah. I think it is. And so, Confidence. yes. And I'm hoping that this class actually that I'm putting in, it's really out there for, for now for free to, to see how people are doing what they're doing. It's being self-aware of what you're doing managing your own self before you can manage others is what I'm trying to do with this class. Even though the title I says managing your boss, it's really a, an opposite because I want you to be self-aware of your learning style, your conflict management style, your personality. Those makes a difference when you know who you are as a person, you can't get shaken, whatever the situation is. But if you don't know and you're kind of second guessing yourself, like you said, you're not confident on those Zoom calls or even conversations, right? right? Or in person. Right? Yeah. And I can't wait to listen into that class. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm hoping and I have some people from India that's taking it. I'm like, yes, because I need feedback as much as I can. But what do you think leaders can do to promote success in their teams? Well, I think for starters is to be present and available a, a former leader of mine did something that I would would try to do. He managed a lot of people. He had a, a very large team and he held a town hall once a month. And if you celebrated your birthday in that month, you got to go to the town hall that month and he had engaged with you, you could ask him anything. And it was his way of connecting with the broader company. And it was individuals chances of talking directly to the leader. I think keeping your your finger on the pulse of what the, the workers are doing is really important. And not just your direct reports, but their direct reports and even down the line. Um, that's effective leadership. When you become detached and removed from what's going on in the day-to-day -day operations, um, I think that's a recipe for disaster. So I stay, stay in touch. And you know, coming back to the idea of being transparent, being available, I have one-on-ones once a week with every person that reports to me. And those one-on-ones are, we don't have to talk about the projects they're working on because we have communication on a daily basis on that. One-on-ones are about us connecting as human beings, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, what I would want to know 
um, how they're doing emotionally. Do they have what they need to do their job effectively? What can I do differently? What can I give more of myself to them? Is there something they need that, what can I do less of? Am I micromanaging? I want them to be able to come to me and say, you got to back off. That's the kind of relationship I want. Want to know how, if their son had a little league championship game, I want to ask them how that went. If their daughter's graduating, I want to ask how how the graduation party was. I want to know them as people, and I want them to um, feel comfortable to talk to me like a human being. That's what one-on-ones are for. Work stuff, you have a Slack channel, and you check in with your team. Yeah. On a daily basis, how the work is going. This is the chance to get to know them as people. And when you connect on that level, that's when you really can inspire people and, and really get productivity and engagement and get them to buy into to building the things you need them to build or delivering the things that you need them to deliver. Yeah, it's important. Relationships is important more than anything because work can come later. It, it, it doesn't sleep. Like I always tell my team, I'm like, you have a problem right now. It's 11 o'clock. Go to bed. We'll deal with it tomorrow because it will be yes. here tomorrow. Don't worry about yes. it. It's not going to go away. Yes. Yeah. I just had a, a Slack message from somebody and I said, oh, um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm on vacation. I was like, I don't want to hear from you. Yeah, bye. <laughs> we do not need to talk. <laughs> yeah. You are on vacation. Do not, do not contact me yeah. um, until you are actually working. And respect, respect people and... and boundaries. Boundaries know who they are as people, embrace that. You know, people have great things about them and they have faults and come as a full package and find a way to work with that person to bring out the best in them and help maybe keep the faults at at a minimum. That's the job of a manager and a leader. Awesome. Now, the last thing I wanted to say is that the Holiness Dalai Lama said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world and ultimately our world. How do you hope to change the world, Randy? Well, I'd like to know that there are young learners out there who feel that they or they've been told that they can't learn to read or they have given up on trying because nothing has worked for them. I want to believe that the work I'm doing will make a difference in their lives, that we can show them that literacy is a goal that's well within reach for all learners. We have a tool that can help them. So if I can do that, if I can touch the lives of any struggling reader, child or adult, I feel like I've made a difference. And that's in in the, the product side of things that I do. In the people side, I hope that the people that report to me find passion in what they do Uh, are learning and growing in their roles, find a path that that fulfills them and that path may still be here working with me or it may be a different path and I wish them well. The idea is to create a worker that would, you know, blossom and and sometimes they, they need to go elsewhere to take their career to the next level and you have to smile and wish them well and hope that they take something that you gave them with them to the next role. So if I did a little of that too, I think I'd be happy. I think that maybe the Dalai Lama would be happy too. Right. Seriously. He literally said, I'm part of um, NSLS. It's the National Society Leadership Success, I believe. And it's like 1.5 million. It's the biggest society, national honor society in the United States, actually. And I was listening to Dalai Lama about like, at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters. It doesn't really matter who you are. 
and what you're doing, but being compassionate to other people because you don't know what walks of life they're going through at the time of adversity and conflict is the best human needs that you can give to others. And I've tried to put that in my head all the time when I have a meeting and someone is just not agreeable. And I'm like, okay, what would he do at this moment? Right. And so I'm like, okay, I need to just calm down and kick my emotional intelligence a little bit higher today and be patient. So I think that definitely taught me a great deal of being patient. I am impatient sometimes, especially on lining at Disneyland. I cannot handle it. <laughs> but I think with challenges everybody's patience. Yeah, but even with the queue, I'm like, I can't. This is 40 mm-hmm. minutes I just wasted right now, staining, doing nothing. And my husband's like, would you rather be working or would you rather be looking at people and just enjoying the day? I'm like, you're right. I should just enjoy the day, right? But thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Thank you, CJ. This was fun. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you want to be a guest on my podcast or have questions, email me at leveluppbydocleland at gmail.com. Docleland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D at gmail.com. I will see you soon in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.